guide, lead, and direct in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 12 as we continue our study in the book of John. We've gone through the first 22 verses of the book of John, or the chapter 12 in John. And um, we'll continue it on this morning, starting in verse 23, John 12, 23. Um, as Jesus is talking, it says, Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come. Now, up until this point, he was saying, you know, my hour is not come. He said that in John 2, verse 4 to Mary. He said it in chapter 7, verse 30, chapter 8, verse 20, my hour is not yet come. So, his hour has come just signifying the end of his earthly ministry. Sometimes when you read your Bible, you think, well, John chapter 12, there's a lot more chapters, but you've got to understand it's, it's, uh, there's a lot that happens in a short period, a short span in your Bible. So he says, The hours come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Now, a lot of people get confused. Oh, look at that. You, you know, life eternal. You Keep it to life eternal. But it's not as confusing as you think it is. But the first thing I want to look back is go back to verse 23. The Son of Man should be glorified. Um, now that's important. Uh, because if you go back to verse 16, he says, These things understood not His disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they the things which were written of Him, and that, th that they had done these things unto Him. So... His glorification is the most important thing. He's, he's going to go back to heaven, go back to the Father. He's going to receive the glory that He had with Him from the foundation of the world. And, and for all eternity past, He's going to be glorified. And that is what happens after the crucifixion, after the ascension, back to the Father. He's glorified. Um, the hour has come. This is, this is winding things down. Now imagine... This is God the Son, and He's apprehensive. Now, He's not apprehensive going to the cross and dying for our sins. He's apprehensive in the relationship that He and the Father have that's going to be severed. And darkness over the whole face of the earth, that is His apprehension. His apprehension was never, ever, ever to not go to the cross for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He did those things which always pleased the Father. Now, it's important to understand that you're, he's not uh, trying to get out of the cross. He's saying, if there's any other way, remember that in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, if there's any other way, why? Not because he doesn't love us, but because his relationship with the Father is going to be severed, it's going to be strained. But the whole point in this thing is the glory of Jesus Christ. Look at, Hold your place here, but go to John chapter 17, because I think that gives you the best expression of this glorification. Uh, when you go through here in John chapter 17, remember I called this the Lord's Prayer, because the Lord's Prayer, when He says, the disciples say, teach us how to pray, and He says, our Father which art in heaven, pray like this. That's the people's prayer, the disciples' prayer. That's not 
the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is right here. Chapter 17, verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. So the hour has come. Remember, we just read that. The hour has come. So he's, it's, a, it's a repetitive thing here. The hour has come. Glorify thy Son that thy Son also may glorify thee. Again, it's all about the glorification of God. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Verse 3, and this is life eternal. So what? here's the definition of life eternal. That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That's what life eternal is all about, is to know Jesus. Verse 4, Jesus speaking again to the Father. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. He's saying, look, I, I, I became a human. I left heaven's glory. I, I, the glorification of God is not um, becoming a human. The glorification of Jesus Christ is when He goes back to the Father and He has that glory again that He gave up. He humbled Himself. Remember Philippians. He humbled Himself, became a man. Now he's going to get that glory back when he goes back to the Father. And he, um, you could go through quite a few more verses. Um, it talks about the world over and over and over again. Uh, let's go on and jump over to verse 22 of chapter 17. And he says this about the glory again. He says, And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, thou in me and that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Talking about the glory. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with them where I am, that they may behold my glory. Remember he says, glorify me as, as in the beginning, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee. Boy, that's pretty obvious today. But I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. What an amazing truth. I mean... The Bible is, has got so much truth in it, it, it it's pretty amazing to uh, recognize those truths for what they are. So I'll go back to John chapter 12, and let's look at this thing again. So now in, in verse 24, John 12, 24, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So he's using a physical uh, illustration for spiritual truth. And that's what he does. A corn of wheat's got to fall to the ground. It's got to die. And then if it dies, it brings forth fruit. That's what Jesus Christ is going to do. When he dies, he's going to bring forth so much fruit. 2,000 years later, we're talking about that Savior. 2,000 years ago, he went to that cross and he died on that cross. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins so that a person could be saved. 
Now think about that. So here's, here he is. He's telling his disciples, accept a corn of wheat, fall into the ground, and die. And he's trying to tell them, look, this is what you need to do too. Remember he says, take up your cross and follow me. The next part of the verse, verse 25, He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Now, that can be confusing for some people because it says unto life eternal, but the, the problem is people don't understand what life eternal is. Life eternal isn't just the fact that you have everlasting life. It, 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 it's about living life. I love life. I, I, I've been saved 42 years, and I, I can't say I've always loved life, but I, I love life. I enjoy life. I enjoy living. I enjoy not so much what I see in the world and the direction that it's going, but I know that I don't have to go down that drain. I know I don't have to follow what the world's doing. I know that I have a more sure hope. I, I have Jesus Christ. I have the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Wow! So, so don't get all wrapped up in worrying about what's going on. Just look at it and say, yep, I see it. It's in the Bible. It's coming. Men shall wax worse and worse. How bad it's going to get? Men are going to wax worse. What do you do? Stand for the truth. Don't be hateful. We've talked about this over and over and over again. Speak the truth in love. So whenever you do, you don't look at, you don't look at somebody that looks different than you, acts different than you, believes different than you, and judge them to the point where you go, hey, look, I, I hate you. That's not the way it is. Now, speaking of hate, look back at the verse. He that loveth his life shall lose it. So, do you love life? If you do love life, you'll lose that life because the life that God wants you to have is different from the life that you would choose on your own. We all have a thought pattern. and We're like, man, i got to go in this direction. I've got to do this. And then when I do this, then I'll be happy. Or I'll, if I do this, then I'll be content. If I, that's not the way life works. Life works this way. Lose your life, give it to Him, and say, not my will, but thine be done. Then when He guides you, and He leads you, and He directs you, then you lose your life. Doesn't mean you're dead, means you lose your life. Take up your cross, follow me. You lose your life, and then as He guides you, you look back and you go, I look back and I go, I would not have chosen the way that I got to where I am today. I would have chosen things much easier. I would have said, look, I don't want to suffer, ever. I, I don't want to go through pain and heartache and embarrassment. and I don't want to go through all that stuff. But now that I'm on the other side, at least for today, it's Mother's Day, so everybody's on their best behavior. I'm on the other side of much of that. I look back and go, oh, wow. I see it. I understand. I understand how God directed and protected and guided and, and, and led me. And, and, and boy, it's wonderful. So what did I do? I lost my life. And because he that, he that loveth his life shall lose it, he that hateth his life. Now, love, hate. Uh, it just means when, you, when it says hate, it's, it's, it's love less than the other. You know, you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't love two masters. Love the one, hate the other. So, so there's that thing you've got to look at. It, it's not hate as in what we sometimes describe it or how we think of it. So as it goes through, you give everything up and you give it to Jesus. 
That's what you're supposed to do. Um, Let me give you a couple of things about eternal life. Because at the end of that verse it says, He that hath his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. So that just means for that extent there. So let's, let's run a couple of um, passages. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 is an amazing thing to read, starting in verse 17, talking about this thing on eternal life. This will give you a great insight. It's not even if you're poor. You know, it talks about the rich here. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. So trust in the living God, not in the uncertain riches. God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good. This is what you're, you're told to do. That they do good, they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So again, you you lay a foundation for the time to come. Everything about our life is not on this earth. In fact, this life is just to bring us to a point for the greater life that's yet to come. You lay a foundation for the time to come. You, you, you build, and, and I've said this many times, I believe what Scripture you learn and how much you grow and mature, study to show thyself approved, workman needeth not to be ashamed. The more you learn here, the more that you'll start with in heaven. You're laying up a good foundation against the time to come. And then what will happen in heaven? Well, if you're laying up a good foundation, and it's different from the foundation which is Jesus Christ, if you're laying up a good foundation, what are you going to think you're going to do for all eternity? Continue to build on that foundation. I believe we'll be learning the Word of God forever. It's an inexhaustible book. And, 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 and how's that going to work? I, I don't know. But if, if what I think is true and what the Bible teaches, if you're laying up a foundation for the time to come, you're going to continue to build on it for all eternity. How's God going to do that? I don't know. I don't know. I just know that, that uh, this life is not a waste this life has eternal consequences, and that's why you lay a foundation for the time to come. Now, go over to the book of Matthew, and let's look at a couple of the verses in, in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, building upon that premise that I gave you in 1 Timothy, Matthew chapter 6. Again, very important. Uh, look at verse 20. Um, well, let's look at verse 19. Matthew six nineteen. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So, again, same concept as 1 Timothy chapter 6. He's saying, lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. How do you do that? You grow in grace. You grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not just here, but in your heart. You grow and you mature in Christ. This is not a waste of time. The whole point on us getting together is to help each one of us 
to become more mature in our walk with Christ. As you mature, you're laying up a good foundation for the time to come. Where's your treasure? Is it here on earth? Oops! Needs to be in heaven. So you're laying up and store a treasure in heaven. Look at verse 24. No man can serve two masters. Here's that thing on, for he, on that hate, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Again, making that contrast between hate and love. You're to love God with what? All your heart, mind, soul, and body. That's what we're told to do. Look at another one in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. In verse 24. Here's a choice you have. Matthew 16, 24. Then said Jesus unto His disciples... If any man will come after me, you're following Jesus, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Again, same thing we're reading about in the book of John. So what do you do? You deny yourself. You take up your cross. There is nothing wrong with denying yourself. You know what the world says? Don't you dare deny yourself. If you want something, go march in the streets and you know, force people to, 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 to succumb to your thoughts, your wishes. No. Deny yourself. Can you imagine a world where everybody denies themselves? Can you imagine a church where everybody denies themselves? Can you imagine a marriage where everybody denies themselves. Can you imagine a parent-child relationship where everybody denies themselves and puts everybody in front of themselves? It is not natural to do that. You have to learn how to do that. You have to be trained how to do that. That's why the Bible says husbands love your wives. Why? It's a command. How can you command somebody to do something which is not a choice? Because it is a choice. Oh, I don't love him anymore. Well, then you're wrong. You get married. I don't love him anymore. No. Husbands love your wife. And by the way, the wife's supposed to love the husband. And we're supposed to love each other. So you come in, you go, well, I don't love that person in the church. You're wrong. I don't love my enemies. The Bible says love your enemies. How in the world can you do that? It's a choice. Now, love doesn't mean you go over and take them a casserole every day. You can. It's a good gesture. But it just means, it just means you can't, you're not to have that emotion of hate toward anybody for anything. Because if you do that, the Bible talks about a, a root of bitterness. I just, you know, I just, I picked up a root the other I, I saw it out there and springing up my yard, and I went over there and I, you know, I pull on a little bit and I pull it out by the roots. If you don't pull it out by the roots, what's going to happen? It's going to keep going. And by, in my front yard, I got these, you know, you'll see them come up. I, evidently, they were under there when we put the grass down, or they put the grass down. And every, you know, come up, sprout here, and it'll sprout here, and I'll have this, uh, this limb coming out of the ground with a bunch of thorns on it. 
And so what do I do? Man, I go get my mattocks and I, I dig down in there and I try to get that root up. Listen, if you don't get the root up and the root of bitterness, is, 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 it, it'll spread everywhere. And the Bible says it'll affect everybody. That root of bitterness springs up, it defiles so many others. It's not just a personal thing. If you allow bitterness in your life, you hate, you just can't do that. The Bible is very clear. So, what do you do? You lay up treasures in heaven. You decide that, look, this life is a mechanism for the life hereafter. Okay? I, I look at the choices that I made. I made good choices and I made bad choices. I wish I could undo all the bad choices. But you can't. And you know what God does? God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use those bad choices for my glory. Why? All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Well, I'm called according to His purpose. I love God. So what does He do in my life? He makes even the bad choices that I make, He makes them work out to His glory so long as I recognize it as that. Do you know what is most frustrating is whenever you start thinking, well, no, God just forsaken me, or no, I, everything I did is wrong. No. God is merciful, loving, kind, gentle, all those things. And he wants to be like a, a parent that loves his child. And that's you, that's me. So we accept it that way. So look at John chapter 12 again. John chapter 12, back to our verse. In John chapter 12, you go back and, and, and again in verse 24 it talks about that, that wheat, that wheat dying. It bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall, will, shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Verse 26, if any man serve me, let him follow me. So what is, what is serving God? It's following him. How do you follow him? You got to know him. You got to know what he wants. Let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. So the father honors those that serve the son. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. That's why we, you know, we do those things. So. Look at verse 27. Now, Jesus is now talking personally. Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So now you got a voice from heaven. You know what Peter says. Peter says, hey, we heard that voice, but we have a more sure word of prophecy in the word of God. Very important. Uh, he says, my soul is troubled. Isaiah 53.10 says, the Lord made his soul an offering for sin. So Jesus' soul was made an offering for sin, and his soul is troubled within him. Imagine God the Son leaving heaven's glory, coming down to earth. He's getting toward the end of His ministry. 33 years, 33 and a half years on this earth. He's coming to the end and He's going to die on that cross and become sin for us. Take all of our sins upon Him. 
He's a man. 100% man, 100% God. He's a man and he knows that the Father, it's, it, it's going to have that separation. So why is his soul troubled? Because that's the whole point on, do, on him doing what he did. Isaiah again, the Lord made his soul an offering for sin. When Jesus died on that cross, the Bible says that his soul went into hell. He will not leave my soul in hell, Acts chapter 2. But hell couldn't hold him because they weren't his sins. So he go, his soul goes into hell, his body's in the grave. He goes on the same day in the heart of the earth, over into paradise, and on the third day resurrects. That's what it's all about. Why was his soul troubled? Imagine never having sinned. Imagine being a perfect, holy, righteous God in human flesh. And then taking every bad thought you ever thought. Every bad act you ever performed. And let's just go outside of here, hopefully outside. Murderer, rapist. Whatever, what, the, most, the worst thing you can imagine. Imagine God taking all that upon Himself. Jesus Christ taking all that upon Himself. Imagine that, and you will not even be able to fathom what Jesus went through. Imagine the worst that you can imagine. And He did that for a world that didn't love Him. A world that didn't understand Him. Not even His disciples understood. So that's why He says, My soul is troubled. In Luke chapter 22, verse 44, He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Sweat, uh, great drops of blood came. He, he, was, he was sweating blood. None of us probably have ever done that. I mean, I, just, I don't know everybody's life in here, but I've never sweated blood. He did. Why? His soul is troubled. Not because He doesn't love us. Not because He's not willing to go to the cross, but because of His relationship and His glorification, He is becoming, He is going to become sin for us. Who knew no sin, why? That we might be made the righteous of God in Him. Amazing, amazing truth. In fact, hold your place here and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I just quoted all that to you, but I need you to look at it. Look at the verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's look at, I think it's the last verse. Yeah, 21. Speaking of the Father, for He, the Father, hath made Him, the Son, to be sin for us. And then it gives you the caveat. Who knew no sin? Why? That we might be made the righteous of God in Him. Wow. You are made the righteous of God in Him. Why? Because He allowed His soul to go through that. He sacrificed His life. He sacrificed His soul. He allowed that glorification to be totally decimated. Why was His soul troubled? Just what I told you. Um... Look at Hebrews 7. Hebrews toward the end of the Bible. Uh, about seven books in. Hebrews 7. Let me show you something else that's, that I want... Because I, I told you to imagine it. 
But now I want to get the biblical description of who Jesus is. Hebrews 7, verse 26. This is speaking of Jesus. He's our high priest. For such an high priest became us, who is, and this is speaking of Jesus, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily, uh, like the other, well, let's read it. Who needeth not daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins, and then for the people's, for this he did once when he offered up himself. So, who is Jesus? He's holy, harmless, verse 26, undefiled, separate from sinners, higher than the heavens. And why is his soul troubled? Because all that is going to change momentarily. He can't die on that cross without our sin. The wages of sin is death. There is no death where there is no sin. That's why people, you know, people have asked me, what about children that die? And, you know, uh, four-year-old. You know, I know some religions teach, well, you've got to wash away original sin in the baptistry, but the Bible never, it says the blood washes away sin, not water. So it can't be that that's true. There's nothing in the Bible like that. No child is ever baptized, sprinkled or whatever you want to call it. But what happens when that child, if a child dies? Well, it doesn't go to, you know, without baptism, it doesn't go to, um, what's it called? Purgatory. Not purgatory, but limbo. Thank you. child doesn't go to limbo. What kind of God is that? That child dies before the age of accountability, which varies based on the mental capacities of a child, but it's certainly not four, five, six, seven. That child dies at a young age, that child goes to heaven because that child doesn't have the accountability of sin. It's called, you know, it, it, it's, um, it, it's just what the Bible teaches over and over, the, the, the age of accountability. That baby at one year old is not accountable for sin. That baby at two years old is not accountable. It's called the age of accountability. That child is not accountable. And therefore, if that child dies, the parents aren't responsible for making sure they... That, that is so contrary to Scripture that God, merciful, loving, kind God who sent His Son to die on the cross is going to take an innocent baby and send him into limbo. Terrible, terrible, terrible. What does it do? It makes the parents fret controls the parents, controls the family. What a terrible concept made up by man, unfortunately. Going back to John chapter 12. I have an itch on my nose. I'd like somebody to come scratch it. (laughs) Feels like I've been breathing dust or something. What's funny is on the live stream, it always captures a picture of you, you know which one it's going to capture. I'm going to be touching my nose. You look on it. You can look on YouTube or you, you just watch. It'll be me. I need to do something else like, and maybe it'll pick that one up instead, man. But it's going to pick up me touching my nose. I, I almost guarantee it. Um, look at verse 28. He says, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice out of heaven saying, 
I have both glorified it, what? His name, and will glorify it, what? His name again. The people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Listen, there's a lot of things God, a lot of things God does for our sakes. And sometimes we don't understand it. But I promise you, whatever God does, whatever God allows is for our sake. To teach us to trust in Him more. Depend upon Him. I can't imagine a life where I wasn't dependent upon God. But sometimes we get to the point where we think, hey, I'm self-sufficient. No, you're not. No, I'm not. So, having said that, we will close with a word of prayer. We'll start again in about 15 minutes. Mother's Day message, the message I spend more hours on than any other message all year long. So come attentive and come ready. And happy Mother's Day. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your many blessings. God, lead and direct in all things. Lord, we just pray that you would have your will, your way in our lives. In Jesus' name and for sake, amen. You are dismissed.